Hey, y'all. It's Syra, your favorite finance queen. This week, we are talking all things ESG. That is environmental, social, and governance factors. What the heck is ESG? Well, it's putting your money literally where your mouth is. Companies can get a rating based on how much they focus on the importance of ES and G, which often ties to their performance. Luckily, Megan and I have a friend who happens to be an expert in the area that we will be interviewing for this particular episode. This is a conversation I have been waiting weeks to have. So without further ado, let's go. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syra Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by StockTwits. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. Hey, Sai, how's it going? Hi, Megan. We are one week away from you being here. We're going to tape together. What, what? I'm excited. Okay, and I have a special surprise for you, and this is courtesy of Patrice, who happened to Slack channel me the stuff, but I want you to see what I'm drinking today. Ready? I'm going to do a little slide by. Oh, buddy. <gasps> Topo Chico has seltzers? Yes. They dropped this wow. this week, and as soon as Patrice messaged it to me, I ran to the store. <laughs> of course you did. Take my money, Topa. Take my money. Take my money. Let's Take go. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So Anyways, much. this is what I'm going to be pounding. So I am pumped for today. Are you ready for today? I am. I think it's going to be a really cool, interesting conversation. A different take on investing, for sure. Totally different take on investing. Have you done a little bit of Googling on like ESG and Liz? Can I can I give you the quick DL on the wonderful lady that we will be interviewing here in a moment? Yeah, we're LinkedIn friends, but yeah, give me the bio. What's up with Liz? <laughs> let me let's let hear me it. hit you up, girl. Okay, so yeah. Liz is the co-founder of Toronto-based Honey Tree Investment Management, one of the only female-led asset management firms focused on responsible growth. Honeytree believes what is traditionally seen as ESG data is just as important to assessing a company's long-term growth and risk as traditional fundamental data, and they integrate them both equally into their investment process. Ooh, so we're talking social responsibility is what you're saying. Yes, impact investing, social responsibility. We're going to dive into a debate, hopefully, about Amazon, Walmart, Tesla, all of the stocks that you hesitate on or refuse to invest in that I'm like, I'm knee deep. So I'm curious to see what Liz thinks. I'm probably going to regret some of this conversation and admitting that I'm invested in them, but you know, is what it is, right? Yeah, it totally is. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to hear her perspective because she's deep and wide in ESG, which I'm excited to learn what that actually is. Um, but I'm ready for a different perspective on investing. Amazing. Take a break. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's take a break. Hey, Liz, how's it going? Good. How are you? 
I am excellent, and I am so pumped to introduce you to my co-host, Megan McShane. Megan, please meet Liz. Liz, it's a pleasure. We connected on LinkedIn before we met in person. <laughs> it's, uh, I've been excited to, to get to chat to you both, so this is, uh, this is wonderful. Liz, well, thank you so much for joining us. And I guess my favorite question that I like to ask people is, what, what are you drinking? Are you drinking anything with us this evening? <clears throat> Yeah, I am. Uh, I actually went to wine school, um, oh. it, which is a, a side story, which we may, may or may not get into. But <laughs> I've always loved a lot of different alcohols, beer, wine, everything, um, straight liquor, strong cocktails. Um, and so I found myself drawn to straight liquor and citrus or just straight liquor as I've grown older and can't handle the sugar as much. Mm. So this is tequila with the... Uh, <laughs> Lemon. Love it. We're going hard it, today. It's melted quite a bit. It, it's it's not it's not as big as it looks. It's just a lot of melted ice. Well, awesome. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that we're all all ready to go. So I'm gonna cheers and then just kind of jump right in. So I think the big question of the evening is what exactly is ESG? It's very confusing um, because it, it's not confusing for me, but it's very confusing for the world because there's just so many things out there about it overlapping with impact and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it also overlaps with investing. So it gets kind of confusing even for investment professionals. So I can't imagine that um, non-investment professionals are anything other than totally confused about it. Um, the simple way to think about it is ESG refers to non-financial data. So we have a bunch of financial data that we look at in companies that's all in the financial statements, but there's other stuff like workforce demographics, water use, waste, um, things that are not financial metrics. Um, and, and ESG, so environmental social governance data is used as a catch-all for that term. Um, that being said, the problem with ESG data is it keeps it separate from the financials. So we like to think of it as non-financial data and, and we use it in how we, we choose companies, um, in, in how we build portfolios. Very cool. And I always, I'm really curious about this space too. Um, if, if you've listened to a bit about our podcast, so Syra has really kind of taken me on this journey into finance. Like, you know, I'm a creative and who happens to make money and like, doesn't know what to do with it. And so it's kind of been a fun journey in the story and narrative we're telling together. Um, but I'm curious, like Liz, like, what an amazing space to be in for you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and kind of what drives you in this space. I think what drives, you know, we, we started our company because a lot of large asset management companies were doing ESG wrong. Um, and, and we didn't really know why they were doing it wrong. We just knew that the portfolios that they were, were putting out were not, did not reflect what the end client wanted whether that's us or a foundation or, or that. So that's that's what drove us into this. What what got me intrigued in in this ESG world in the first place was um, a lot of governance training, actually. I did a lot of nonprofit work and, and governance training and, and really learned about stakeholder governance and how boards are supposed to be run and realized there was a disconnect with how the investment world was evaluating that and, and the huge opportunity there to 
to measure stakeholder governance? Is this board focused on its stakeholders? And by stakeholders, I mean employees, customers, the community, the supply chain, um, even the shareholders. Um, and, and I felt, my, my co-founder and I felt like we could build a portfolio where we really took into account companies that were focused on those stakeholders and that they would outperform over time. And with, the, you know, that's just the product that we offer. Um, but but really, it's about our role in building an asset management firm, um, a, a woman-led asset man management firm, our role in advocacy in the industry, which if you're on Twitter and you see see what I like to do, um, it, it's, you know, we we can't, you know, if, if the, the percentage of women portfolio managers, so so folks who pick stock um, in, in portfolios, not necessarily advisors, but but asset managers is about 10% woman. And about 0% of that is women of color. And that has not changed since the year 2000. So we've done nothing um, as an industry. So we can't go out and launch all these gender equity ETFs and ESG products that pretend to care about this stuff without doing the work ourselves. So it's not just about you know, our belief in, in how this matters in, in an investment product, whether it's our strategy or an ETF or uh, a mutual fund. It's really about you know, how, how do we get the investment industry to make these changes that, that some industries are doing, right? How do we encourage that? How do we play a role? So, it, so it's Liz, pretty all, in sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. So I, I just want to kind of take a step back. And so for all of our listeners, um, it sounds like what you're saying is what you and your co-founder did was create a firm that focuses on ESG investing. And is that kind of the basis? That's the basis of Honey Tree, right? Yep, yep. We're an asset manager um, that that uses ESG data the same way we use financial data to build a portfolio. We think it's just as important. Amazing. And and so, I guess something that I've been really curious about that's tied to that is, um, let's say I'm you know um, trying to figure out exactly how to invest in ESG myself, and I don't have necessarily the access to just finding an asset management company that can provide me with that the data that you're doing for your customers. How would I go about figuring out where I can find um, you know commentary on whether or not a company participates in ESG? So everybody participates in ESG whether they would like to or not. Some companies do a much better job participating. Um, if you're going to buy individual companies, the best place to start is the company's document. So most companies um, have a sustainability report now, even the the smaller ones. Um, so anybody who's not any, anybody, but let's say 60 to 70 percent of these companies have a sustainability report. Now, a lot of that is is useless. It's it's awards they've got and employee donations and volunteer hours, which which are totally useless. But you can see a company's progress on year over year woman or racial diversity in leadership or how much they've reduced their emissions um, or the fact that they're not disclosing any of that stuff. So the best place is right in the company's reporting. If they're not reporting the stuff, they're, they're probably not very good ESG. Then there's a whole bunch of different places you can go. Um, one place I send folks, um, even though I have a big issue with ratings, um, but we that's pretty technical, um, is just, um, I just blanked on their name. Um, wow. I'll remember that in a second. Um, so MSCI and Sustainalytics, who are the big, um, 
ESG ratings providers provide basic ratings for their companies on their website. So you just Google ESG ratings, um, Sustainalytics or MSCI, and you can easily access them. Now, they're, they're pretty broad. Um, they don't go into, into a lot of um, depth, but they'll tell you that they're a, a, a or a B or a C or a, a high risk or low risk. So that's one place to start. That's, that's how a lot of um, asset managers who do ESG look at their research. They don't kind of dig into um, uh, some of the details that we do. Um, why can't I remember the name of just this is I bring it up like all the time. It's, uh, it's well, uh, feel it's free to fun. I mean, you can always jump in as soon as you recall it, I guess. I, and I have a follow up to that as well. So I always hear these terms, socially responsible investing, conscious capitalism, impact investing. How do those correlate to ESG? Are they like underneath the ESG umbrella? Or are they different? That's a great question. So I have to unfortunately tell you the entire history of ESG, but I can do it really quickly to, to get there. <laughs> e Perfect. This type of investing started with the apartheid. It actually started a bit before that, but it became a, a movement with the apartheid. So there were, were we'll call them um, impact-focused investors, the Quakers, for example, in North America, who, who started using their power shareholders to push companies to stop allowing the apartheid to go on. And they played a huge role in getting those changes made. So that was kind of the beginning of um, using public investing for good. Um, and over time, it started really as SRI, so socially responsible investing. And that's where you have a portfolio and you take out the bad stuff, right? And or you you work against the, the bad companies as a shareholder. What then happened is that type of investing continued. There's still lots of great um, mission-driven investors out there. We like to think we're a mission-driven investor as well. But as ESG got more popular and companies could go by ratings, it became a little commercialized. So that's where you. That's why ESG comes up as this term so much, as opposed to social responsible or impact or all these other things, because it's the it's the product. It's the data product that, that is sold to asset managers and advisors so that they can be ESG. Um, so it, they, it depends which country you're in, whether they're an umbrella. In, in the US, impact is the umbrella. Some would say ESG is not impact. I can make a strong argument that a lot of it is, but it, it's, you know, it is responsible investing, what we do. It is socially responsible investing. It is impact investing. It is also ESG investing. Um, whereas somebody who's who's doing um, uh, real estate um, for, you know, uh, in real estate refurbishment in, in areas that, you know, need more affordable housing, that's in, considered direct impact investment because it's directly impacting a population. Um, but there's still ESG data in that. So it's very confusing and you should be confused and, and nobody even in the ESG <laughs> industry or, or the responsible investment industry can get it straight. So it, it, the best way to think of it is ESG is, is a catch-all, but it's also really just referring to non-financial data. So if I'm uh, like Syra and I have been talking about, um, you know, what it looks like and when I'm, you know, when I'm ready to start investing. And for me, like social responsibility is definitely high on my list. Like when we talk about very subjectively companies, I'm like, oh, I, I don't like this company. Therefore, I don't want to invest in them because I don't feel they have good social responsibility. Um, is there another lens that I should be looking at, like specific companies? Like, I don't want to call anybody out by their name here. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Like, 
I, I yeah. I'm happy to. <laughs> yeah, can. are there are there some Please. really bad I'm actors, and people. are there some people that are like setting the example, Liz? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, your gut feeling is right, but your explanation for it is wrong. You see a bad company, and you think that they're a bad investment long term. So it's not that you just have a problem with them destroying the world. You think that long term they're a bad investment because they're a shit show, essentially. In in your right. So that's what our investment thesis is, is, is based on. And the way we solve that problem, the question you asked is, are they stakeholder governed? Is this company, does this board, does this management team have their head on straight? And are they trying to make the world a better place because they know that will make them more money in the long term, which is not how most investment people think, but you're allowed to think that way. And then that's the, that is the insight that I've seen from, from folks who, who want to be socially responsible and from folks who think the whole thing's ridiculous is is that kind of you know the the companies that you see in these these strategies you're you're like that that company's evil how are they in an ESG strategy and you know it's not about our own you know one thing one thing that comes up that that ESG gets explained away as oh you just you just do your regular portfolio and you take out the stuff you don't want and that doesn't really solve the problem for a lot of us who actually care about the whole thing. We don't just care about emissions. We don't just care about water. We care about workers. We care about pay equity. We care about minimum wage and folks not fighting it. Or we, we care about companies that are, 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 are using their lobbying dollars to reduce their taxes. Um, it, it's so, so those of us who, who care about all that stuff can't just pull every company out because then you're going to be left with none. Um, so, so we solve that by what we're trying to do is trying to find the 20 most responsibly growing companies in the world. And that's how we've kind of solved that problem for, for folks who invest in very active, concentrated strategies, because um, that's that's what we do. But um, they're not perfect. Even the best companies in the world have major flaws, but they're trying. They They understand that they'll save a lot of money by being more efficient. They'll understand that they'll... Um, keep their workers for longer, have higher retention, have less turnover costs if they're not jerks um, and, and provide decent work. So that's what we're trying to find. And, you know, we didn't see many options to for a portfolio like that out there. Hey, Liz. So I guess this is something I've been contemplating this whole time that you've been talking about all this stuff. So is there proof then that ESG leads to higher returns and uh, really like more strategically well-built companies? There's two sets of proof. If you look at the returns for SRI ESG funds in on, you know in the marketplace, um, they have done much better. Now there's a couple reasons for that. Th these companies are more responsible. They're, they're less they have less risk of you know folks with fraud issues get don't don't make any of these things. Um, but the other thing is they don't have any energy. And until the last quarter, if anybody's paying attention, which you should not pay attention to short-term quarterly moves and anything, that's my advice <laughs> for everybody. Um, you know, energy was really underperforming, like really, really, really badly for the last five to 10 years. So just by removing energy, like we're a fossil fuel free fund. Um, but it, so that's, that's, that's one of the reasons um, for the difference. We look at it academically. So we look at governance and diversity research academically that looks at teams diversity board diversity that kind of thing and what that means to organizational performance and so when so we know increased diversity improves 
organizational performance. So that's what we're looking for um, when we do our research. We know um, not having to pay for as much waste disposal saves money, right? And and so it's really, and it's it's at the other end, it's regulations. Companies who use a lot of plastic or or that kind of stuff will know that the regulations are coming, and some will be caught behind, and others will have figured out how to use all recycled plastic. So there's, it's very it's very complicated. At the same time, it's do they have their head on straight? Are they long term? Right? People don't talk about long termism enough. You know, folks think Warren Buffett's not ESG because he cared a little bit about shareholders. He was really, he is really long term. I think he's more ESG than a lot of people. And he, he cares about employees, even if he, he, he says he cares about shareholders. So, you know, whereas we have, we have, a, we have a very short term financial system right now, right? Where you, you CNBC, all the stuff, you know, lights, uh, numbers flashing all day, every day. People think it's short term and it's, that's, that's definitely not ESG. There's nothing ESG or impact about living quarter to quarter. Yeah. Liz, um, this might be more subjective, but for you, maybe not. So Sai and I have been talking about, like we pick out three stocks and we, we talk about it subjectively on the show. Like the ones that come up for me is the bad guys. And I want to get your opinion is like Walmart, Amazon. What was another one, Sai? Those are kind of the top two that come into my head, Liz. Like when you look at those companies, like I have my own personal subjective opinions and my gut is telling me certain things about them. But how would your company like look at them from an ESG perspective? I use Amazon as my example of negative externalities, right? So so you have, um, you know, they, 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 they're progressive as a company. They, Jeff. Bezos owns progressive newspapers. They pretend all this stuff matters. And, and it does for their, their employees on the West Coast making $500,000 a year. <laughs> if you look at the data of the warehouses, whether it's in Toronto or anywhere in the U.S., there's huge safety violations, years of safety cover-ups, a lot of folks um, not getting any medical support, uh, having to quit. Um, I could go on, like literally there's a hundred different things related to that. Um, union squashing, all this stuff. So eventually we're going to be able to look at the average pay of workers at Costco, which is $25 an hour, Amazon, which is whatever, 16, Walmart, which is lower, but also the injury rates, the turnover rates, right? Because that matter who cares if Amazon's paying $16 an hour versus Walmart, if Walmart's keeping their employees for longer. So I, I don't, I can't, I can speak specifically to Amazon. Walmart's kind of one of those in-betweens, right? In, 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 I haven't, and I haven't done enough analysis on it, but you know, when you have all retail workers, right, you have lower pay, right? So they're going to have lower, you know, we look at glass door ratings and things like that versus say Facebook, which is high paying folks. So, so there's a bunch of nuances, you know, and, and Walmart's trying, we, we don't own them and they don't make our consideration set. Um, but I'd say, you know, they they have less of a they have less of a bigger set of problems. Amazon has a big set of problems. Amazon is exploiting labor and driving people to food banks, um, and that's a huge cost for us all. I mean, it's eventually going to catch up in regulation. So um, that's and you know if if you don't care about any of that stuff, like go ahead and invest in Amazon. Um, just some of us don't want to don't think long-term that's sustainable, right? And you could say things like that with Uber, right? Just looking at the labor, even Tesla has had a lot of 
uh, you know, Tesla has a, is an impact product. So Tesla is considered an impact investment because 100% of its revenue is electric vehicle. Impact investment measurement ignores all of the operational negative externalities and like the extraction from the mine. So, so Tesla doesn't get docked for, and there's a whole bunch of worker safety and, and, and pay issues there as there is in a lot of manufacturing, right? Um, and, and Apple, for example, doesn't have to deal with, and they're actually not half bad, but compared to a lot of the big techs on the West Coast, but they get to move their operational issues off to Foxconn. So Apple doesn't have to get credit for what their manufacturing and shipping is, whether it's emissions or labor or anything like that. So that's, that's where it gets really tricky. And you get that. The investment industry doesn't get this stuff. It's fascinating. They don't believe negative externalities matter to the bottom line. We were also talking about like the younger generation. So for example, like Snapchat, it's huge, right? I'm sure your kids use it. My brothers use it. It's the only way they'll talk to me because <laughs> they're under 20. Um, but, you know, it, it's really interesting because you have this, I mean, I think it, sorry, it was like 5 billion snaps a day, like something insane. And, you know, all these kids are using it. They're actively using it. They're using it in good ways, bad ways, in different ways, whatever. But, you know, when they turn 18, because most of the kids are under 16, you know, are they going to believe enough in the company to actually go out and buy the stock and like really dig into it like you are? Because we're seeing that generation like Gen Z and lower, like they're like, Amazon is not good, guys. Stop investing here. Um Maybe we should take another look at Walmart. Yes, you can get your LaCroix for super cheap, but like, you know, maybe it's not doing that good. So it's interesting to see maybe when the next generation of investors comes in, um, like your viewpoint, our viewpoint of having social responsibility might come more to the forefront, which might be interesting to see. It is the the wealth transfer that's going to happen first in the next 10 years. Um, we, we, we know men uh, live about 10 years less on average um, than their wives. So the first wealth transfer is going to the wives who tend to skew less um, giving a shit about Wall Street and more logical. Women are more evidence-based in investing, just so you know, because we're not insiders. So you, you, both of you, all of us look you know, we don't think, hey, Jim Cramer's super cool. I want to be like him. I should just do what he says. We're just like, that's. I, I just want to point out that Megan's face is she has no idea who Jim Cramer is. Good. I was raised on him. Yeah. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, um, you know, the, I can't even remember what we're talking about, but, you know, the idea that. The exchange that, of wealth. The oh, exchange yeah, of wealth. The exchange of wealth. And so, so men, boys, dudes, guys are like when they watch a Jim Cramer, they're like, yeah, 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 this is great. And and people who are outsiders, which which tend to skew women in the investment industry because we're not, or in investing in general, we're not the, the common, we, we're more skeptical and evidence-based. So the, the wealth transfer to the, the wives is going to cause a huge shift. 90% of spouses leave their investment advisor when their male spouse dies. Wirehouses are gonna have a giant exit um, because a lot of these women, care a little bit more than their husbands and their investment advisor. Then you have the generational wealth transfer to the millennials. So my parents are both got their, well, we're slow on COVID shots up here, but my parents are both over 70. I'm a, I'm a very old millennial. 
Um, and the, the next, whether it's the older, the, the Gen X transition that's happening now, but that, that, that big bulk of boomers and millennials in the population is going to be a huge transfer. And even the most conservative millennials care about some of this stuff, right? I like to tell folks, I have very conservative friends in Texas and Georgia who, who, who do really care about gender diversity. Like they like all my tweets and they, they do care about racial equity. Like it's, it's a very interesting thing. So absolutely the whole, the whole system is going to be completely thrown around and I'm very excited for it. And that's kind of why we needed to get started before that happened. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I, I am as well. And Liz, it's funny that you're saying that because as you started making these comments for what it's worth, Megan has challenged me on Amazon. I happen to have a fairly large um, amount of Amazon in my portfolio. No denying that I also own Walmart. At one point, I own quite a bit of Tesla. I, I, this makes me want to sell most of my portfolio or at the very least start doing some research on ESG since it's not something that I'm particularly familiar with and definitely not something that I'm used to looking for. And it struck me some of the things that you're saying, because I think there's a lot here that perhaps but not only myself, but maybe everyone that's listening didn't know about being like really conscious about how we put our money and really putting our money where our mouth is. So I guess I'm curious, is there something that that's really surprising about ESG that most people don't know that you could share with us? Like, do you have, is there like a, a fact or statistic that, that is shocking? There's a lot. Um, it's hard to, you know, <laughs> give me your, give me like your two favorites. Uh, the worst companies at ESG are asset managers selling ESG. They're, they're just the, they, they're worse than frankly, almost any industry. And that when I say worse, I mean, no movement in, in leadership diversity or management diversity, very little at the junior levels, um, not even acknowledging. I mean, the head of BlackRock sustainability just quit and said ESG was BS last week. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that, that I think are, um, folks are surprised about. Um, the other thing with ESG, which is really interesting um, and it, this is a little institutional, but I think it's important. Most places that are selling you ESG, so funds or ETFs or um, direct indexing products or even advisors, um, are doing ESG research separate from how they pick stocks. And, and that's a little confusing because you think, oh, an advisor, of course, they're looking at all this ESG data when they're making security selections. And that's not how it happens. At most large pensions in Canada and the U.S., even in Europe, who, who are leading ESG pensions have portfolio managers on one team and ESG researchers on another team. So they think the ESG data is not as important. And that's true at whether it's BlackRock or any of the big places that sell ESG data. So it, it's, it, that's intuitive to anybody who works in the ESG industry because that's the way it's always been. But for folks who think that this stuff is being cared about and the products being sold to them, that's, I think, kind of counterintuitive. Um, and, and the reason is because portfolio managers, and I'm a portfolio manager, are supposed to live in a bubble where shareholders matter the most. So that's a lot of traditional theory that, that folks are taught says shareholders matter more and customers and, and employees are just kind of line items and everybody outside of investing is like, that's ridiculous. You know, even though you've heard about it, 
because folks know employees drive the bottom line. They know customers matter. Um, and, and so that's, that's where, that's where the big disconnect is. That's why you see products that, that don't match or, you know, you, you know, Tesla's in the, there's, there's a lot of companies that are really awful. And then there's a lot of companies that are okay and they're going to get better. And, and, and Sarah, you know, one of the things is, you know, is what Walmart's a momentum ESG stock, right? So you don't need to feel bad about owning it. It's not torching kids in, you know, villages, um, it, although we could get into chocolate and there's a little bit of that going on. So I probably shouldn't tell you the chocolate stories. Um, <laughs> no, don't tell me chocolate stories. I just bought some at Trader Joe's today. <laughs> but actually, I'm going to tell you the chocolate story because I think it's it says something, not about chocolate, just chocolate's fine. It yeah. says something about supply chains. 50% yeah. of the world's chocolate from the big guys can't be traced to where it's being made. Then it's all being made mm -hmm. in Angola by kids under 18. And what? so they're, they're working on, they're working on, um, tracking, you know, that you've heard this in minerals and conflict stuff, like other things before, but basically chocolate's not cheap to produce. There's only so many places you can do it. And right now there's a lot of human trafficking and underage labor God. Um, going on specifically there. And the, the chocolate companies, when you look at their reports, right, they're trying to trace and do due diligence on the suppliers and stuff like that. But you can imagine there's a couple degrees and it's not like they want to increase their price of chocolate 14 times. So that's, that's where some of this stuff, you know, and you can, you can, could be cotton in a different part of the world. It could be um, labor camps in China, all the stuff. It's, it's much more. So, so just cause a, a chocolate company has an okay ESG score and all this stuff doesn't mean that there's not big gaping problems somewhere underneath. Cause what I really does, cause what I, what I hear you saying, Liz, I'm just, I'm going to simplify it for me because I, again, I'm not in the industry, so it's tough, but so a portfolio manager. And I feel like the ESG person at a company, like sit on opposite wings of the same floor and never talk. And they both have different values um and like kpis that they're 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 measured on but really at the end yeah. of the day it's all the same shit but they're just not talking to each other and i imagine the person that wins out is the portfolio manager yep yep and there's a there's a couple couple big i mean like we're different right all our portfolio managers are also the esg researchers because we we think of the yeah. data the same but you know there, there's a pension in canada one of the more functional progressive ones who's given their portfolio managers carbon budgets. So their bonus is based on their carbon reduction in the portfolio that they're managing. So you can see how some people who really, really like some, inst and this is that that's the Quebec pension. So Quebec is very progressive and cares very deeply as a people. And so that's what's driven their pension, which is actually one of the largest uh, pensions in the world to make these changes. But for the most part, exactly what you said is exactly right. Separate sides, you know, the ESG person may bring up issues, but they'll, they'll really focus on the proxy voting meetings about ESG stuff with the ESG team from the companies they invest, but they don't necessarily in a lot of cases have real input into which stocks are in the portfolio. Huh. Well, Liz, I got to say, thank God for you and, and your company for, for taking a stance and, and doing this. Like Honeywell sounds... Honey, honey tree. tree. No. Honey tree. Honeywell. Honeywell. Oh it's, it's, it happens all the time, but that's honey okay. Honey 
tree. I Honey apologize. Tree. Tree. Wow. Um, I, Liz, I actually have two wrap up questions for you um, that I'm kind of pumped to hear your response to. So um, what is one resource that you would recommend any beginner investor that's interested in ESG? Where should they go? And then the second question is what's one thing every beginner investor should be doing? So the good news is I remembered what I forgot. So rankings and ratings are very tricky. However, one of the more thoughtful ones, if you're looking at the U.S. market, is called Just Capital. And so they go and they break down. um, They have an ETF, too. I haven't looked at it. But they they break down uh, uh, a lot of the stuff that we look at in, in a very reasonable way across the U.S. market. And so... They, they'll, you can go in and see, and like Goldman Sachs is ranked number two. So I'm not even going to talk about that. that. That's what I mean. There's flaws with all the rating systems, but you can go in and you can see where company is good and bad. Right. Um, and you can get a, kind of a feel without going to collect all the data in, in all the places on your own. That's if you're, if you're looking to invest in us stocks, I would say start with just capital if you're going to buy ETFs or mutual funds, Morningstar has the best basic ESG sustainability rating. When you go to the holdings tab on Morningstar.com, and you can scroll down and they'll, they'll, or there might be a sustainability tab. It depends which country you're in. I think the most important thing um, for a new investor is to figure out your research framework. And whether that's watching Jim on CNBC for 20 hours a day or Wall Street Bets or, you know, you know, for, for, for us, you know, it's I, I invest, we invest in 20 stocks. We hold them at equal weights, right? So that's part of our framework. We focus on very long-term stocks. So, so it, you, you got to develop your framework. You got to develop your decision-making skills before you go and try and find a bunch of stuff. And it doesn't really, uh, there's a lot of good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. But it, the discipline and the process that you put into it is more important than any idea or stock pick that you have. So this idea that it's all about ideas and stock picking is very short term. Um, and that's what is driven by the FOMO and the CNBC and all that stuff out there. Good portfolio managers and good investors of all types, whether they're you know um, little old ladies in Canada holding uh, millions of dollars worth of Canadian dividend stock. They bought at our age, you know, forever and ever and never selling anything. That's a really good investment. Um, in, 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 but it's a process. I'm going to buy dividend stocks and hold on to them. So it, it define your process first, do some research into the process, whether it's picking three funds, picking 20 stocks, doing some indexing with some, it, there's a whole bunch of ways to do it, but your decision framework your rules, your personal investment policy statement is is matters more than you think, much more than any of the ideas or the research you're going to do. So just to, I just want to summarize what you just said. So the two resources yeah. that you recommended in the U.S. are Just Capital um, or Morningstar. And then if we're trying to figure out if we're a beginner investor and we're trying to figure out what we're doing, the big thing is building that framework and deciding what our investment philosophy is going to be. So picking something and then it sounds like from what you're saying, Liz, is sticking to it is the key. It's not just doing something and then maybe waffling on it and jumping out. It's picking something and making it your long term goal. Yeah, even if it involves short term decision making, add some rules to it. You know, don't uh, 
don't panic because the price goes one way, you know, in, in, in a month or a week. Um, a lot of poor decisions are made by panicking uh, over short-term price action. So really focus on why are you buying this company? What are the reasons behind it? What are the reasons you're going to sell it? Right? Saying because the price goes down 20% is probably not a really good reason, even though a lot of people do that. Say, well, because it, it lost a lot of money last year, or I, you know, don't just come up with the rules around that. Um, and, and that will help get you started. And then you can fail and go and adjust those uh, as, as you learn. I mean, that's even what we do as professionals, right? I, it, this is not like we started Honey Tree and everything's all perfect. We have to continue to learn based on our decisions and you know even though we perhaps have more experience in doing this it's still continual you know is our thesis right are we making the right decisions did we do what we said we were going to do right versus did did it all work out so i love that it's like holding yourself accountable and holding your money accountable to to what you believe in like i can get behind that too like i i really love that and simultaneously relearning, right? Like making sure that you're yeah. adjusting and, and teaching yourself things because the market never stays the same. What it was in 2010 is certainly not what it was today. So I love all of that as well. Liz, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an immense learning experience for me. Um, Megan's nodding. I'm assuming it has been for her as well, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely. No, I have a lot to think about Liz. Like as I, as I get into investing and really kind of almost writing down my own mission statement for what do I want my money to do and who that. do I believe in? What is my gut telling me? Yep. Um, and then what is the company telling me about their social responsibility? Cause that's, that's really important. Yep. And mission statement. It is mission driven investing is what the most impactful foundations and endowments and groups who are really trying to change the world with their, their work and investments call it mission driven investing. So I like that personal mission statement. Oh, that just it. gave me chills. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Liz. Uh, I'm sure we will be chatting again soon. Um, and to everyone listening, now you have it. This is exactly what ESG investing is. So start putting your money where your mouth is. And check out Honey Tree. And check out Honey Tree. Right on. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Thank you. Okay, so are you ready to add it up, Miss Megan McShane? Yeah, let's add it up. Shall should I try? To yeah. Add it? Yes. And then you correct me. Or Let's go. Well, first of all, I just uh, I want to say like my eyes are wide open right now in a different perspective and I have a, I have so much more research to do. Um I do want to pride myself on my subjective gut about how I feel about companies because I think there's something there that I can dig into through the lens of social responsibility, gender equality at the company. Um, you know, how are they giving back? How are they going carbon negative? Like, these are important issues that I want to invest in, not only my time, but potentially my money. And so I definitely think um, Honey Tree, which is Liz's company, might be a great way to kind of start that research and adventure. But I don't know about you, but my eyes are a little bit more open. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like Liz just told me to dump, I don't know, at least 10% of my portfolio. I'm a little, I'm a little depressed, <laughs> but, but also, but also it's such a, it's such a valid point because I know that I'm one of the, I personally love putting my money where my mouth is. I always 
try to be progressive and forward thinking in terms of how I'm investing. And, and the fact that I've let myself so far down today in terms of comprehending things that honestly, I didn't even know to look for. I didn't realize there was actually a separate report that comes out that talks about their sustainability. And I don't know. I think I have a lot of research and homework to do as well. And perhaps some, I'll call it rebalancing of my portfolio. I'm just going to shift some money elsewhere so that I can be slightly smarter with my investments. But yeah, I mean, disappointed in myself, but also looking forward to having a portfolio that's more wisely invested in the future. And that is truly thanks to Liz. So definitely we both should write mission statements and come back like a mission statement for our, did you, I'm sorry. Can we take a break for a second? Did you just give me homework for the first time? (laughs) It's happening. Episode 14. (laughs) We're reversing. We're reversing. And now Megan McShane is giving Syrah homework because Syrah hasn't always been the most wise of investors. Okay, fine. I will come up with a mission statement that we will talk about in the very near future. Um, but for the moment, should we wrap it up my babes? Yeah, let's wrap it up. We have a lot to think about. I need to go finish some wine, but Uh, I feel good about this. Like, don't you feel empowered like to go and be a little bit more socially responsible with your money? This is like an ongoing theme for us. It's empowerment in different method methods way. Right. So I, yeah, I'm, this is something that I've never concentrated on that I need to concentrate on because it is important to me. I've just never known how to do it. So yes, yes, I need to go. I need to go do some Googling. The Googs. The Googs. All right. Well, I love you. And the next time we're recording, we shall be together. (laughs) I'm dancing. No one can (laughs) see because I'm listening. (laughs) Yes, I'm excited. All right. All right. Love you, babe. babe. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show, follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Wanna Have Funds. (laughs) 